the last sermon in this series on Acts 29-11. So Acts, we've been, been going through it, Acts uh, 1 through 28, been going through several things there. And Acts is about three things. It's about power, it's about mission, it's about community. It's not uh, a few verses on power and, and a chapter or two on mission and then uh, some thoughts on community. They are interwoven all through it. You, you can't have power without the mission and the community. And you can't have mission without the, or you can't have community without the other two. You get that? You get that? You want the power? You got to take the other two. You've got to be involved in community for the power. You got to be involved in mission to have community. I mean, they all fit together. And if you don't, if you don't take them all, come on, church, listen to me. Pastors being pastoral this morning. I'm going to get all over your toes. Go ahead and take your shoes off, stick your feet out there. I'm going to get all over them today. We have a calling. If we're going to have any of it, we got to take all of it. That's what we've been called to do. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I love you. I thank you, God, for, Lord, the refreshing that is so amazing, God, when we just step into your presence. God, you offer that to us freely. Every single, every single time we need it, God, it is there. And let's praise you, God, for uh, everything, everything, God, that you were doing to, God, to enable us to accomplish your will, God, and just get through life sometimes. And I pray, God, I pray you challenge us today. The rest of this year, God, to be your church. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. So three words. I can't take them apart. I'm going to tell you something about all three of those words. Uh, these are the themes to me of Acts chapters 1 through 28. But let me give you one more word. Uh, actually, two more words. Because today we're talking about our identity as 2911. Okay? And we're going to wrap all these things together. But let me give you another word. We've been looking at history. Okay? The history of, of the church. And Acts chapters 1 through 28 is when the church was birthed. It's when it began. We've been looking at all this. And history is important. You've got to know your history. I, I, know, I know you look back in your own past and you, you may say, there's some stuff I want to forget. You can't afford to forget because you know the old saying, right? Whoever refuses to remember the past is doomed to repeat it, right? And so if you don't remember that and learn your lessons, you're going to turn back to that. But here's what you've got to remember also. Every one of those bad things that's happened in your past how many of you are alive this morning? We just sang the song, right? You're alive? You're alive? Everybody alive? Everybody alive? How about the rest of you? The rest of you? Half of you raised your hands. Other, you're either dead or asleep, right? Wake up. All right. Everybody's alive. You're alive. There have been some bad things happen in your past. The fact that you are alive is a testimony to God's ability and His power in your life. And so if you forget all those bad things, you've got to also forget the overcoming power of God that is in you. Some of you, your marriages are still together. You're still sitting by that same spouse today because of the miracle working power of God. You should be divorced. Y'all should be split up. You shouldn't be together anymore. So if you look back to all that, you can say, oh, there's some bad times. But you got to look back and say, but by the grace, mercy, and power of God, I'm still together today. I mean, you cannot forget this past. You have to look back to the past. And so we've been looking back to Acts chapters 1 through 28. You might not know a lot of the history of the church if you're not really a theologian or really into studying those kinds of things. You might not know a lot about that, but that's important to us as well. What's even more important, though, not more so than Acts chapters 1 through 28, but what's more important to us than possibly the last 2,000 years is the last four years. The DNA of Church 2911 is when we look back at the last four years, we see our DNA and who we are, how we've become who we are, what we are, why we are who we are, uh, the things that we, and we cannot afford to forget that. Now, 
Listen, some of y'all are sleeping late and you started coming to second service. I really need some of you to bump back up first service, all right? This morning, it was uh, really, really, kind, really kind of low this morning in the early service. If you can help me out there in the early service, really, it really would help us get. But, you know, one of the things I said, one of the things we need to remember is I was looking at that service. I said, you know, still, there was a time, and some of you remember it, not many of you, as I, as I was telling them, you know, I said, because you weren't here. But there was a time when this was a good crowd on Sunday morning. I'm talking about just that one was a good crowd for all of Sunday morning. I mean, that's, so we have to look back and remember, thank God, look at, look at what God has done. But you don't remember that. You know, you weren't here, so you don't remember that. So, but that's, so thank God. You say, man, that's an awesome thing that I've been a part of this growth and all that. Man, that's great and awesome things. And we need to remember that, and we need to remember how we became that. We didn't become that. We didn't become that because of a, a seminar that we went to. We, we didn't become that because... You know, just because uh, uh, some committee got together and said, well, let's ask Rick Hand if he wants to go over to that building. You know, the crowd's really dropping off and they don't get a pastor and there we go. We're going to lose that building. It's not because of that. There were some things that God, and, and some of the things, now some of you, if, you were, if you've been here for four and a half years when we were getting this, there's some things that if you, if you remember, you looked at me when I said, we're going to do so and so, and you said, well, that is stupid. Come on, somebody, say amen. It's a, it's a, I can't say amen to the pastor being stupid. Yeah, you can, because some of the things that, I mean, there's some times that God's told me to do stuff, and I thought, God, that, that, that's, you know, I don't think I've ever told God he was stupid, but I thought some of the, I thought some of this, I've had to battle the, you know, that inner feeling of, God, some of this is stupid. There's some of that stuff that I, I, I just can't say, and I don't understand, but we have to remember. We have to remember because it's our DNA. It's, it's, it's our gene pool. You know what a gene pool is, right? You know, like, uh, like Brent, our son Brent, he's got a little bit of, you know, red in, our, in, our, uh, in his beard and a little bit in his, in his hair, you know, and he's married a redheaded, beautiful young lady. So we thought, man, we're going to get a redheaded kid. You know, we were kind of excited about having a redheaded kid. It's turning brown. I don't know if it's going to be there or not. But, you know, here's the thing. It's about the, the, the redheaded gene in your gene pool. It means that it's possible, Right? Doesn't mean that it will happen, but it's possible. But what it also means is if you don't have that redheaded gene in your pool, it's not possible. It ain't going to happen. That's why we need to know about our history, our past, our DNA, our gene pool, because there are some things that are possible. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, because some of that's still up to me and you, and we got to make it happen. But there are some things that are possible, and, and and there's some of this. And I'm about to go to a place right here that's going to just kind of tie into some of this power stuff. There are some things that will not happen because they're not in our gene pool. Okay, there's some things that will not, should not, could not happen as a church because they're not in our gene pool. And we don't know what those things are unless we study our history. We, we don't understand those things. We do, and, and we can't stay on focus and, and know where we go. So, so let's go to some things that I need to share with you here. Because first of all, I want to tell you that in 2013, we are going to need God's power. We are going now. Now, some of you, some of you, you might have immediately thought this. You might have thought, "Yeah, 2012 was rough, and if it had not been for the power of God, I would not be here today." Some of you say amen to that, can't you? I mean, you say, "If it hadn't been for the for the power of God, I would not be here today." For in 2012 and in 2013, you, you're looking ahead. And you're saying, "I don't know what 2013's got to hold, but you know, probably if it's not for the power of God, I'm not going to make it." I mean, because you're going to need. Sometimes you're going to be sick. You're going to need to be able to pray for that healing power. From the Holy Spirit. 
You're going to be confused. You're going to need direction. You're going to have too many options and, and not know which one to take. And you're going to, need, you're going to need some of the wisdom or knowledge that also comes from the Holy Spirit. Remember those gifts we talked about at the end of, the, uh, at the end of that first sermon a few weeks back? You're going to need these things. So you're going to need all that, but that's not really what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about as a church and as individuals, we're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit in this year, 2013. Because truth is coming under attack. And when I say truth, I'm talking about the Word of God. Because there's only one truth. And Jesus, who is the Word, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it's coming under attack. And you and I are going to need the power of God more this year than we've ever needed the power of God to stand for what is right. Let me show you Scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I believe this is talking about our generation. Now, we can argue about whether these are the last days or not later. And I, I can give you a bunch of sermons on that if you want me to. You just hang out with me this afternoon, and I'll preach as long as you want me to about the, these being the last. I believe these are the last days. But even if you don't believe these are the last days, these are more last days than they were when this was written. And you've got to agree with me that this Scripture, I mean, it describes the generation that we live in this country, at least, this culture. Maybe not other generations and other cultures and other countries, but it, it describes us. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. That's, is that not today? I, I mean, that describes today. We love ourselves. I don't know if you read that post uh, that I shared on uh, Facebook and Twitter this week about the 40th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. And, and the words of this pastor who he'd given, given all these reasons why, and he, and he talked about, he talked about all this, and, and he, he actually even talked about, you know, how doctors view abortion. They, they say, we know we're killing lives. We know, you don't, you don't have to talk us into that. We know we are killing lives. He said, but, but what trumps that? If you didn't read this, you need to go, you need to go get that. You need to go back, just go to my page and, and find that link. You need to read this. He says, we know we're killing lives. You don't have to talk us into believing that. But what trumps the life is the decision by someone to not be pregnant. That they get to make the choice to not be pregnant. And that choice to not be inconvenienced by a pregnancy trumps the life that is in that woman's womb. What more example do we need of this particular definition of our generation than a generation that loves itself more than any other thing. In the book of Romans, talks about having an unnatural love or not having a natural love. And I, I know that's talking about same-sex love. And those, I know that's what that's talking about. But also, you know, is, can there be any more natural love than the love that a woman has for her child? And, and I'm not just talking about a child after it's born because I've known too many women who have miscarried. And I've seen too much just devastation in their life for a baby that they've lost, even before the baby ever moved, that before they ever felt anything, they, just knowing that baby was there, the connection that was there, that is the most natural love there is. And for, for us to be able to, to just sever that and throw that away as if that life does not exist, there could be no more greater definition of this generation than a generation that loves themselves. And the, the last thing, and I skipped that whole list there, read it. You need to read that and just see, it, it describes us. But the last definition there said, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Is that not our generation? Is that not our culture in this country? That's who we are. But look what it says going on from there. Having a form of godliness but denying the power of God. Having a form or going to church but denying 
the power of God. Saying God has no power or not allowing the power to work in their lives. That's our generation. And then he goes on, just as Janice and Chambers opposed Moses, so also these men oppose the truth. Today there is an attack against the truth. Anything that challenges someone's little authority place, anything that challenges someone's lifestyle, anything that, and I'm not just talking about, I know when I say that, everybody thinks I'm talking just about same sex and that kind of stuff. No, I'm not just talking about that. Anything about your lifestyle, it's when it is challenged, people begin to oppose the truth. And in, in my ministry, and in my, my generation of ministry, I can say that people have always not wanted to hear the truth. But years ago, people didn't want to hear the Word of God because it made them feel guilty because they knew they were doing wrong. They knew that the, God's Word was the truth. But today... People don't want to hear the Word of God because one, they don't believe it's the Word of God. And two, they don't believe that it's the truth for them because they believe that there is this new truth or we're in a time of new enlightenment and what God's Word meant to some people years ago, it no longer means. But the Word of God is truth, always has been truth, always will be truth. Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, said He is the way, the truth, and the life. So the way is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The truth is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and our life in Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 10. It was written at least 2,200 years ago because someone, uh, another guy quoted, who wrote it, uh, his writings have been preserved. 2,200 years ago, he, he quoted this. So we know it's at least that old. But it could be up to 2,500 years old. And it says, is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? No. Nope. It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. That was said over 2,000 years ago. There is nothing new under the sun, he also writes. The, uh, Solomon, who we believe wrote this, there is nothing that is new that is under the sun. Everything has already been. There is nothing is new. Everything is, there is no new truth. You may understand truth a little deeper one day or something, but there is no new truth. And, and we're going to need the power of God more so in 2013 to stand for the truth because it's coming under attack, because it's being twisted, it's being manipulated. And you're going to need it because you're out there listening to all these people. And, 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 and let me tell you this. You need to be careful. You need to be careful who you're listening to. You need to be careful who is pouring into you. If I ever say anything that doesn't line up with Scripture, I, I don't invite you... I demand that you come tell me this doesn't line up with Scripture, Pastor. I want you to because I'm, I'm doing everything I can to share the truth of God. And you need to be careful of people you're listening to. Someone asked me this week about a particular minister. There. So they saw something about them. And they said, well, what about this guy? And this is a guy that probably you're not extremely familiar with, but in ministry circles, he is extremely popular. I mean, he writes and everybody has to go get the book and everything. And, and, and I, I doubt any of you have ever heard him speak. You may have heard some of his things quoted, but somebody was asking me this week. And, and you know, and there were several things that I already know that he has said that don't line up with Scripture. Several things that he said. And, and so, you know, I don't read him. Sometimes someone quotes him. I read his quote. Yeah, it's pretty good. But I don't read him. And so I, I started to share some of these things that he had said. And I was like, well, no, wait a minute. No, wait. That one was other. And then I began, real, began thinking about all these popular guys that are out here. And I'm not talking about probably the guys necessarily that you're following. I'm talking about the, the guys that ministers are following today. 
The popular guys that are out here writing and blogging. And, and listen, I've read people's blogs. I read people's articles. I'm not coming down on that. I'm saying I'll do it too. But, but the, the, the guys out there that a lot of ministers are following, there's so much that just doesn't line up with the Word. And when they're called on it, instead of saying, man, I messed up. Now, listen, I'm gonna tell you, I'll just go ahead and tell you. I'm not a big, huge Benny Hinn fan. Okay? All right? But Benny Hinn wrote a book one time, and it had a horrible error in it. A horrible error. And several evangelical ministers went to him and said, Brother Hinn, you've messed up here. You know what he did? He edited the book. I'm not a big Benny Hinn fan. But if you say something that doesn't line up with the Word of God and someone proves it to you and says, hey, wait a minute, this doesn't line up, be a man and change it and fix it. But what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing from all of these you know, big powerful guys that ministers are following is there, there, there's so many things that are coming out that are not lining up with the Word, and when people are challenging them, they're not fixing it. Now, how, how can we ever hope to know what the Word of God is if we're listening to people who are misconstruing the word. We have to do what David said. I have hidden your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you. We've got, you've got to be in the word. 2013 needs to be a year of word for you because there are so many people out there twisting it to make whatever they want to do in life. They're, they're trying to find a way to twist the word to fit what they want to do. And you need to hide the word in your heart so that when you hear it, you say, wait a minute, that doesn't line up with the word. And you need, to, you need the power of God because the power of God said, you remember that scripture I gave you last week where Jesus said, don't even worry about it because the Holy Spirit will remind you or He'll teach you or He'll tell you what you need to say when you have that, that challenge to your authority or that challenge to the authority of the Word or that challenge to what you're standing for. The Holy Spirit, the only hope you and I have is the power of the Holy Spirit through the, through, through the gifts of wisdom and knowledge and discernment. And I look around and I see a lot of you today that are saying, well, you know, I'm pretty much settled and I'm beyond that. But your kids aren't. Your kids sitting here that are still in high school, your kids sitting here that are in college, your kids that are down the hall and downstairs today, they're not beyond that. And they are being indoctrinated every single day. And I'm not just saying in school, but especially our kids that are in college. I mean, there's, there are some colleges here in, in the Birmingham area that if your child goes there, I mean, you, you, if you're not sure, just ask me. If your child goes there, you need to get them on the prayer list because they will do everything they can to pull the Word of God out of their life. But it's not even just that. Have you watched TV lately? Have you seen the books that, and I'm not just talking about textbooks, have you seen the books that your kids can go pick up at the, at, at, at the library and they can bring home into your house and they can read? Have you seen these things that are indoctrinating them to believe that the Bible is just another one of those books? You and I are going to have to have the power of the Holy Spirit in 2013. If we are going to have lives that, that mean anything in this world anymore, and if we're going to continue to raise children to be men and women of God who believe the truth, unadulterated, complete, and pure. It is one of the tenets of who we are as Church 2911. I'm not talking about our, our, our doctrine, not talking about our faith and our beliefs. We have those, but one of the tenets of who we are specifically as Church 2911 is we believe completely and totally in the ultimate complete authority of the Word of God. No ifs, ands, or buts. There used to be a song many, many years ago that said, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Wrong. You don't have to believe it for it to be said. When God says it, it is settled. If He says it and nobody on the earth believes it, 
It's settled. When his word says it, then that's it. And we need the power of God to help us be bold. You need the power of God to help you be bold to stand for what you know is right. The word of God. That is truth. And in 2013, we're going to need to be on mission. We can't, I, I mean, you know, you know, I'll just be honest with you. There, there are pastors who get, grow a church and get a church to this place and say, Ooh, I can handle this. Bills are paid. We got extra money. You know, you know, we've been put, we've been putting it back, getting ready for a move. Other pastors say, man, we got extra money. We can just do some ministry now and doing this and this, and we can kind of bless this and bless this and just keep saving money and we'll 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 build something fun for us to play with one day down the road. And this this is just good right here. But we cannot afford to get off mission in 2013. Because there, you know, we, we talk about there's over 120 people attending this church right now that we're not going anywhere before 2911. There's another 120 south of us, and another 120 west of us, and another 100, and another 100, and another 120, and another 120. They're still out there. We must be on mission. What is the mission? You know what the mission is? The mission is given by the leader, right? And our leader is Jesus Christ. He's the leader, so he gives a mission. And we've gone to this scripture every single week of this series, Acts 1-8, but you'll receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in all the communities of the world. That's the mission. Uh, Matthew remembers the last words of Christ to include this, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. We must be on mission in 2013. There are too many churches out there that have decided to just hire staff to do ministry. We'll show up on Sunday, write our tithe check, sing a little song, pray a little prayer, hear a message, and gone. Y'all handle ministry the rest of the week. Understand this. It's another one of the basics of who we are as Church 2911. Every one of you has something awesome to do for Jesus Christ. Every person that has ever lived has something awesome to do for God. Don't you ever forget, don't you... I know some of you say, well, not me. You just don't understand all the stuff I'm under. Well, if, if this ever gets better, then maybe. Because you're thinking because of your circumstances, you can't. But you remember, look back to Acts chapter 1, verse, uh, chapter 1 and through 28, and you see that the miracles didn't happen in the best of times. The miracles happened because the times were sometimes the worst of times. It was when Paul was on the ship, and it was shipwrecked that God saved every single man on board. I mean, you don't have the healing from the snake bite until you have the snake bite. Come on, somebody. Amen? So you say, well, when the situation gets better, hey, what what if God has something awesome for you to do in the middle of that situation? And that's why you're in that situation. And I've prayed a lot of times I have felt impressed in my spirit to get in the middle of a problem or get in the middle of a battle, a struggle, and I just feel like God has put me here for something I got to do. You know, and I've prayed many times, God, show me what that is so I can hurry up and get out of this. Come on, somebody, amen? Show me what what I'm supposed to do in the middle of this valley or this battle so I can hurry up and get out of this. Do that because there's something awesome that you have to do right where you are. He has connected you with people that need you. He's connected you with people that are pouring into you, but He's also connected you with people that need you to pour into them. He's put you in situations. You think you go to the school you go to because you live where you do. God puts you there because of purpose. 
Your, your, your locker is next to somebody. You, you've, got a, you've got three classes with the same individual on purpose. There is purpose where you work, your cubicle. When they moved you that last time, that wasn't just a raise or a demotion. That was God putting you where you needed to be. Some of you have been moved and you've been placed in strategic places because God has something awesome for you to do right there. So instead of looking for, i got to get past and beyond, I need to say, this is the place of my mission. And this year we need to be on mission, specifically about our identity and who we are as Church 2911. i got I to do this really quick. Uh, go ahead and skip to the... Give me all four of them there, Chase, so I can... Uh, at Church 2911, we understand our mission to be engaged and disciple. That's what he said. He said, go, and he said, disciple. Teach them everything I've told you to do. And we also, like Paul, we realize that we have not been called to the synagogues. We've been called to the unchurched. I mean, I haven't talked to a pastor... Since we, we, since we launched 2911, I have not talked to a pastor who has seen their church reach as many unchurched people as 2911 has. There may be other churches out there doing it. I'm telling you, I have not. Because every time I tell them that number, they're all blown away. That is what God's called us to do. And so He's also called us to be non-traditional. In some of my notes and, and some other things I've written, I've written a-traditional. You know, like asymmetric. You know what that means? It means non Totally the anti, you know, like I'm anti-traditional in a lot of ways. You know, don't want any tradition. I know, I know you think that traditions are what bind us together, but they bind some people and they separate others. Like Bradley and I, I guess Brent dropped out of the tradition this year, but Bradley and I, we've got a tradition. Every time Alabama wins a national championship, we go get a t-shirt that night before we go to bed. You know, the one that they put on, they call it the locker room shirt. You know, go get the t-shirt. You know, we got to go do that. That's a tradition, I guess, now. You know, we've done it three out of the last four years. If they win two or three more, I hope we get to do it again. You know, all that. But you know what? And that's a tradition. And, you know, when we go in there and there's those idiots running up and down the street outside yelling, roll tide. You know, and you, you say that, you say that commercial, you know, where everybody in Alabama, you know, just kind of walk around and say, roll tide. You know, like, you know, getting out of the car, roll tide, you know, and all that. I mean, that's what it was like at Hibbets that night. It's like, roll tide, roll tide, roll tide. You know, all these people. And, you know, say, so, well, yeah, that's bind, uh, binding all of us together, making us closer. Not if you're not an Alabama fan. Amen. Come on. The amens are about to change to some war eagles, I think. <laughs> if you're an Auburn fan or a Notre Dame fan, God bless you, you need it. <laughs> that kind of tradition alienates me from you. You can't believe I like to go there and hear all those rednecks running up and down the street yelling, roll tie. Traditions bind small groups of people, but alienate everybody else. God called us to be non-traditional. And we understand. And listen, we accept the individual challenge to go. And I know some of you are sitting there, well, I had not done it yet. Yeah, exactly. You haven't. But I'm telling you as a church, we have. That you are supposed to go. And I, I am going to say it till I'm blue in the face. I'm going to say it until the day I die. God has called you to get out in your communities and to reach those who need to be reached. And if that, if that makes you unsettled, good. It, it's supposed to. But if you get to the place, and I, I, just, I just don't agree with that. Okay, fine. Go, there are plenty of other churches that will let you pay your tithes. 
and go home and let them do ministry the rest of the week. But you have been called by God to do something amazing for Him. And I will tell you that till the day I die or you die. You have been given an amazing call. And so we individually accept the call to go. But we also accept the second part of that to disciple by doing four things. One of them is weekend worship. We come together, weekend worship. This is awesome. This is amazing. What God did a little while ago. I know what some of you have been going through. And to just have the refreshing come into your life. You've been revived today. This is awesome. This, but this is not the mission. Any Mission Impossible fans here? Now I'm old school. I go back to the, I go back to the old 1960s reruns. Mr. Phelps, if you choose to accept your mission, da 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 da. And you know what? He never didn't accept the mission. He always took the mission. You know why? Because. He was macho, and I can make this happen no matter how impossible it looks, right? And it was TV, right? But can I tell you something? You will never fail at a mission that God sends you on. Remember me telling you, talking about the building in Kimberly? If this was my idea, it might fail. If it's God's idea, if God really wants that and it don't happen, hey, it's on God. You know, not me. if God failed, not me, God ain't gonna fail. If He's called you to do something and you step into it, you will not fail. He even says that when I speak a word, it does not fail. That word even does what I send it out to do. And how much more you, anointed, called, and empowered, are going to accomplish what He called you to do. You can do it. Go do it. Um, the second thing we do is small groups. Next week, small groups launch. Can I tell you something? You might think, well, I don't really need a small You know, you might have been blessed to grow up in a church with Sunday school. I couldn't get you to go to Sunday school today if I showed up at your house at 7 a.m. cooking breakfast on Sunday mornings. Come on, y'all are laughing. Those should have been amens. So we have small groups. And you might say, well, I don't need them. But you know what? Somebody you're close to does. If you don't need them, somebody you're close to does. Your boyfriend, your girlfriend, they need it. They weren't blessed to be raised by somebody who read them the Bible every night. Your, your spouse, your, your kids, your nieces and nephews that you bring to church, this is awesome, this is great, but they need discipleship. So you need to join a small group and take them with you. Because they, or, or you need to start one and, and say, hey, come to my small group. This is what, this is what we do. And I need to say, well, pastor, I, everybody's not doing it. No, they're not doing it. But I'm telling you, they're, they're being disobedient. I'm going to chuckle a little bit here, okay? I'm tongue-in-cheek a little bit. Because that's who, we, that's who we are. This is who we are. This is our DNA. Because Acts 1 through 28, it was small groups. It was community. And thirdly, the growth track, I really want to do growth track for small groups. I'll tell you, growth track. And if you've not been through the growth track, it, it, is, it is the beginnings of our discipleship process. If you've been here four years, you haven't been through growth track, I want to see you next Sunday when it starts again at 4 o'clock. I want you to come sit with me. I want you to hear my heart. I want you to hear four and a half years of heart 
poured into this little bit of time that we will have together. And the last thing that we do, the way we disciple, is our dream team. And the dream team is just the gathering of all of our ministry teams. And it's happening, well, you know, I'm getting to just preach all of our announcements today, aren't I? It's happening this afternoon at 4 o'clock. All of our teams are meeting right here. You can come and just go to a team meeting. It's out. Just want to check. You don't have to join to go into the meeting. Just go and sit in the meeting and learn about the team and just see if you want to be a part of that team. That's how we do it here. Okay, last, I got I to gotta just close real quick here. We must re... No, no, no. That's not what I said. Well, I didn't say must, did I? I started to say must. Is it up there yet? I started to say must. That's what I started to write down. But I felt like, no, we will again re-engage our communities in, 20, in 2013. Communities, because we all have at least three. Where we live, where we work, or attend school, and where we play, go to the mall and baseball park or whatever we do. We all have at least three communities. We will re-engage our communities. Last century. One of the most horrific events of history happened in Europe. We call it the Holocaust. Millions of Jews were gassed, tortured. We don't speak the kinds of things that were done to them. I don't know if you've seen the movie about Oscar Schindler or not. I've not actually seen the movie. I want to see it, but it's rated R, and so I've just got a policy. Of, I meant, well, it's not rated R for that. I've just, just kind of got that policy, okay? It's my personal policy. I won't ever go to in, in whatever it is, 17, if I don't do the R, right? Amen. Another sermon for another time. Okay, I just want to throw that in there, okay? So I hadn't seen the movie, okay? But... In the middle of this horrible tragedy, a businessman, Oscar Schindler, a member of the Nazi party, is able to rescue. By the list, it's over 1,100. One of the monuments to him says 1,200. Rescued 11 to 1,200 Jews from being sent to concentration camps and being killed. 11 to 1,200. Yet, after it was over, and, and he died penniless. He went bankrupt. He tried several, but he never could get it back. He lost it all for those. Yet in the final moments of the film, we see his anguish as he just thinks, I could have reached one more. Surrounded by 1,100 that he rescued, all he could think of is one more person. Would you stand and come to the front with me? Let's close up here. If this is your first time with us. We like to close up front, do a last little thought, prayer and a song. Join us if you will. Press on in can to get everybody in the career as possible. One hundred and twenty, many of them you, 
weren't going to church anywhere before coming in 2911. You know how that happened? It didn't happen because we have church. It happened because we have been out there being the church. They didn't just show up. Somebody invited them. Somebody gave them their time out there. Somebody talked to them at lunch. Somebody engaged them in conversation, standing at their locker, invited them to youth church. That's how it happened. You see, this is all wonderful right here. <laughs> like I said, I mean, that was wonderful. The reviving that was going, the renewing, the refreshing that was going on. I know some of you needed that so bad. But that's not, that's wonderful. That's not who we are. Who Church 2911 is, is we're about this mission to go, engage them, and then bring them to the place of discipleship. Because they need, they need to be standing in the middle of this when God's Spirit is just moving through here, reviving. Now they're dying out there. Who am I talking about? Faceless people. Do you know why Schindler said he did that? A Nazi party member? You know why he said he did that? I'm, talk, I'm, not, I'm not talking about the movie. I'm talking about the real life man. He said, because I knew who my employees were. I met them. He said, when you know people, he said, you have to treat them like humans. These aren't faceless people out here that I'm talking about that need reviving. They're your coworkers. They're your family members. They're your friends. They're your neighbors. They're the people that you watch mess their life up every single day at school. You know what they need? They need some. And listen, you've got a list. You might not have made it like Oscar Schindler did. You might not have even put their name on the wall yet. But you've got a list. I believe, you got, and I believe God's got a list, and beside that person's name is your name. Because you are the person He connected them with. You're the person that He has put in their life every single week you guys are in their life. This is who we are. Don't you ever forget it. This is who we are. Oh, and that last, the last song, the song we're about to do, How He Loves Us. Oh, how He loves us. Oh, how He loves us. Guess what? On that list, are all those people out there that He loves too that don't know His love. They don't know it. This is who we are. Taking His love to them. Close your eyes with me. Would you bow? Jamie, go ahead when you can. Back.